Amen. You may be seated. I want to say hey to all of our, our children who worship with us this morning on the fourth Sunday of the month. We have um, all of our kids who might normally be in kids' church in worship just because it's so important um, that they are formed in the, in the worship space with all of us too. And we'll have a special moment for them a little bit uh, later as we anticipate. I know there's so many year-round schools around here anticipate the start, uh, the start of school for traditional folks, preschoolers. All of that. Last week we began a new sermon series called Upside Down, Parables of the Kingdom. We talked about how, how Jesus' main message, what he preached, what he practiced, was the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. God's reign, God's rule, wherever and whenever God's will is done. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus announced, Jesus proclaimed, I have this wonderful news. The time is now. God's kingdom is here. Change your heart and your life and trust in this gospel. We said that seeing and living in and laboring for God's kingdom demands a paradigm shift in our lives. A paradigm shift demands that we change our hearts, our minds, our imaginations, our lives. Jesus invited us to change by telling stories called parables. Parables. To engage our, our, our imaginations. Parables turn the world upside down. In order for us to live right side up lives in the kingdom of God. Parables imagine what the kingdom is and invite us to make ourselves at home there. Today we look at the parable of the sower. Which turns upside down a world of scarcity. Invites us to live right side up in a world of abundance, kingdom of abundance. Let us pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, grow and change us so that we might bear fruit for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. I invite you to pay attention for God's word. The, the words would be on the, on the screen as well. Soon afterward, Jesus traveled through the cities and villages preaching and proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. The twelve were with him along with some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom seven demons had been thrown out, Joanna, the wife of Herod's servant, Chusa, Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. When a great crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from one city after another, he spoke to them in a parable. A farmer went out to scatter his seed. As he was scattering it, some fell on the path where it was crushed, and the birds in the sky came and ate it. Other seeds fell on the rock. As it grew, it dried up because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorny plants. The thorns grew with the plants and choked them. Still other seed landed on good soil. 
When it grew, it produced 100 times more grain than was scattered. As he said this, he called out, everyone who has ears should pay attention. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, it started out pretty ordinary and unassuming. Farmer went out to scatter his seed. And those who came to listen to Jesus speak would have immediately connected uh, with the image of a, a Palestinian farmer. Many of them would have likely been peasants themselves. They would have imagined a, a farmer with a bag of seed uh, flung over his shoulder, scattering seed over the land with the flick of his wrist. Depending on the grace of God and wise farming practices to yield a crop hopefully enough to support his family. Palestinian farmers then had much in common with most farms and farming and farming situations now in the, in the global south today. Small family plots of land have to be worked very hard in order to be maintained. Small farms that pass from one generation to the next within the family. Farmers having to combine uh, farming small crops, a few, a few animals, just to meet their own needs, and then, if there's a surplus, sell it. The farmer knew then that he had only the smallest margin for error, the smallest margin for ignorance in, in that steep and semi-arid land, prone to periodic drought with a topsoil that eroded frequently. And he would have to balance the hunger of his family with the need to save some seeds for the next round of planting. Seed was a precious, precious commodity. Perhaps those listening to Jesus begin to tell this story about a farmer scattering seed would have empathized with the farmer here at the beginning, you know, hoping that, that the seed that he's planting will take, that will produce enough for the family, that will do okay. Farmer went out to sow seed. It starts out ordinary enough. And then Jesus turns things upside down. In the parable, as the farmer scatters his seed, as the farmer sows, some seed falls on the path where it's trampled and eaten by birds. Some seed falls on the rock. And it grows up and immediately withers and dies because it has no moisture. Some seed is sown among the thorns and, and the thorns choke it out. Some seed falls and lands on good soil. All of a sudden, Jesus has thrown in the twist. Right? We can only imagine what his audience thought as he began to share this part of the story, what his hearers were thought, especially those who were farmers themselves. Like is, is Jesus telling a story about how not to farm? Why would anyone sow seed this way? Seed was precious Oh, it couldn't be afforded to, to waste it like this. Seed was sown by hand. I mean, we're not talking about some automated spreader where if you have it on the wrong setting, it may cast it too far out and you get it in the wrong place. The farmer would be very careful to make sure that all the seed that he scattered fell on, on, on soil where it could grow. And surely he would know his own small plot of land well enough to know where the rocks were 
where the thorns were likely to come up, where, where the soil was, was likely to retain moisture the best. We're talking about livelihood and survival here. So the shock of this parable becomes immediate and jarring. What kind of farmer would do this? What kind of farmer would do this? What kind of world is Jesus describing? What is he talking about? And the surprise only continues. Because the seed that that falls on the ground with the good soil produces 100 times more grain than what was scattered. Peasants in Galilee would have been ecstatic with a ratio of seven and a half to one. And we're talking 100 to one. I mean, this, this ratio is beyond imagination. What kind of a farmer would do this? In what kind of world does a farmer recklessly sow seed this way? And in what kind of world does, does it produce that prolifically? God would do this. God would do this. And the kingdom of God is that world of abundance. And that's part of Jesus' point. Jesus forced the crowd and forces us and is forcing us to imagine a kingdom of abundance in a world of scarcity. Imagine a kingdom of abundance in a world of scarcity. Jesus is forcing us to imagine and then live in a world where we don't worry about whether there will be enough. About whether we will have enough. Where we don't hoard or play stingy with anything from food to grace to money to love. Scarcity is a powerful and crippling mindset. It's hard to turn upside down. We know this because we are formed by it and we give into it all of the time. It's why a three-year-old doesn't want to put down a toy, even, even when she's moving on to the next toy, because she's afraid if she puts it down, then someone else is going to take it and it's not going to be there. She comes back to it. It's why I'm pressured to buy that item at that price because if I I wait, then it may not be there the next time at that price. It's why we're so quick to withhold grace and mercy for others while demanding it for ourselves. It's why the up and down of the stock market and that graph of the stock market is like the EKG for our lives. It's why nations and leaders adopt certain policies. It's why Pharaoh enslaved the Israelites because they were becoming too numerous. Quite frankly, it's why part of why white supremacists are white supremacists. Because they think there's a whiteness scarcity. It's just so, it's just so darn easy to see the world from a place of scarcity. We don't have enough, enough people, enough money, enough resources. We turn on the television or we have a conversation with a friend, a coworker, a family member. It's likely we will have 
and hear the same theme over and over again. It's why fear is such a powerful force in, in our nation, because fear is the currency of scarcity. Fear is the currency of scarcity mindset. From the moment sin entered into the world, people became afraid that someday perhaps there may not be enough to go around, so better get mine. And so life on earth seems to, uh, to be this zero-sum game in which there are winners and, and there are losers. And so we begin to hoard resources. We begin to take more than we need, leaving other people hungry. We begin to become so overly calculated with how we invest our time and invest our love because we want to make sure we're getting something out of it. What's in it for us? We build walls and, and fences around our property, protect it from others who might want it. We consider our own needs as more important than the needs of others. We humans even threaten or harm others to ensure that we are never left without the resources we need. It's like we think that life is a life raft and only a certain number of people can fit on this life raft and so we have to outcompete everyone else so that we don't wind up in, in the water overboard. There's not enough time. We don't get enough out of our jobs. Our spouse doesn't do enough of the chores. We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough to retire. We don't have enough people coming to church. And on and on and on it goes. Scarcity caused so, so much anxiety. Scarcity limits our, our ability to imagine and to see what is possible to embrace opportunities to love and to serve and to share and to give. It tells us not to care about anyone but ourselves. And it has no place in God's kingdom. That's why Jesus turns it upside down in the parable. When we have this world of scarcity turned upside down by the parable, we see in the sower and his apparent reckless scattering of seed, the possibility that God is extravagant and generous, not stingy in the least. We imagine that God is not going to run out of his truth and mercy and grace, that God is never going to stop providing for us, that God can reach into God's bag of seed again and again and again and again, confident there will always be enough and not worrying about whether they're rocks or thorns or hard ground. God sows the seeds of his truth, love, and mercy and grace regardless of precondition to all. God sows the seeds of his truth and love and mercy to all, regardless of precondition. I don't know about you, but I am grateful for that. Excessive, wasteful, extravagant, were sure, I'm sure all words thrown at Jesus throughout his ministry. You know what? For God, I think that's a compliment. Preacher Barbara Brown Taylor describes God as a sower, sowing with, quote, holy abandon. I love that phrase, holy abandon. You and I, 
might not waste our efforts on the downtrodden, the thorny, and the hardened, but God is not afraid to, because God is generous and abundant, a God of abundance. And a God of abundance can even bring a preposterous kingdom harvest in our lives and in the world, even with just a handful of seeds sown. Now, this is not news, y'all. This is not news. This is not new, rather, I should say. The the idea of a a kingdom of abundance really runs throughout the entirety of God's story. But Jesus has to remind us again, kind of through a back window, just because of how, how dominant the scarcity narrative and mindset is, how powerful it is. You see, from the beginning, God created out of a place of abundance. God created out of an abundance of God's love. God was under no compulsion to create. God did so. God had so much seed to sow, so much love, that God created a world in which that seed, in which that love could thrive and grow and flourish. Genesis keeps on saying it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. God created a world of plenty. A world where there is an abundance of resources when rightly shared. That economy of abundance, this economy of abundance continues in and through the economy of salvation with Jesus Christ. Who gave himself to and for all. He multiplied mercy and truth and love everywhere that he went. Jesus gave his own life away. He had one life to give, and yet it was miraculously more than enough for all. And so God's story of abundance, God's story of abundance insists that we originated in the magnificent, inexplainable love of a God who loved the world into generous being. That our lives will end in God, and that this well-being cannot be taken from us. God reaches into God's bag, sows extravagantly in our lives, and invites us to make ourselves at home in this kind of kingdom. Parker Palmer is a, is a, a Quaker writer and theologian, and I thought about a, a story of his this week uh, as I was thinking about this parable. Parker was a passenger on, on a plane that experienced what we all dread uh, when we get on a plane. The plane pulled away from the gate, and then it taxied to the farthest corner of the airport and stopped. Parker could hear the engines wind down. And his heart sank. You know what I'm talking about. The pilot came on the intercom and said, Well, I have some bad news and some really bad news. The bad news is that there's a storm front near Denver. Denver is locked in and shut down. We've looked at the alternatives and there are none. So we're going to be staying here for a few hours. That's the bad news. The really bad news is that it's lunchtime and we have no food. Everybody groaned on the plane. This was back in the days, you might imagine, when they they served 
when they served food on, on planes. Some passengers, as you can imagine, started to be complain, to gripe, and even become angry. But then Parker watched as one of the flight attendants did something remarkable. She stood up and took the intercom and said, we're really sorry, folks. We, we did not plan things this way, and we really can't do much about it. I, I know for some of you this is a really big deal. You're really hungry or you have a medical condition where you have to eat lunch. Some of you might not care one way or the other, and some of you probably don't need lunch. So I'm going to pass around a couple of bread baskets and ask everybody to put something in the basket. Some of you brought a snack, something to tide you over. Some of you have, I'm sure, a few lifesavers or a pack of chewing gum or Rolaids. Even if you don't have anything edible, you have a, a picture of your child or your spouse or a girlfriend or boyfriend, a bookmark, a business card. Everybody put something in there and then we'll reverse the process. We'll pass the baskets out again and everybody can take out whatever he or she needs. What happened, Parker said, was amazing. It was amazing. He says the griping stopped. People started to, to root around their pockets and their, their handbags. Some got up and opened the overhead and got out their suitcases and pulled out salami and boxes of crackers and wine. People were laughing and, and talking. She, this flight attendant, had transformed a group of people who were focused on need, deprivation, and scarcity into a community of sharing. A world of scarcity had become a world of abundance. A world of scarcity had become a world of abundance. This scene... This scene is what Jesus wants to see happening all the time as a result of imagining the world of his parable. A world of scarcity into a world of abundance. That's what Jesus wants with us in our lives. So ask yourself, ask yourself this morning, how would life be different if we really believed, I mean really believed that there was enough? If we really believed that God would never ever run out of seed? How would that change how I loved other people? How would that change how I shared with other people? How would that change how I spent and used money? How I served, how I lived, how would that change how, how nation related to nation? How would that change how we treated the earth? There's a beautiful creation, overpacked with abundance. We are hosted by a generous creator. Our lives are constantly Constantly being sown into by a reckless, extravagant sower intent on scattering the seeds of his love and grace and truth and mercy in every crack and crevice of our lives, in every corner of the world. If we tune in, if we can tune in to that abundance, it changes how we experience all of life. It changes how we experience 
all of life. It changes how we love others. It changes how we forgive others. It changes how we share with others. It changes how we receive others. Turn scarcity upside down. It looks like God's right side up kingdom. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.